Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. What's going on, everybody? She got DJ Superman, the Marvin Gaye DJs, a.k.a. Soup Diop. Hey, I'm having a great day and a great time hanging out with my sister from Verbally Effective, Ina Esco, the best ever. Check that out. Hey, it's Shahida Jones, and I'm hanging with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective podcast. Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Verbally Effective Podcast, the podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis flair, all powered by We Are Memphis. I'm your host, your double E, Ina Esco. And today, ladies and gentlemen, I have one of my beautiful sorors in the building with me. She heads her own boutique law firm called the Lee Ranking Group that focuses on entertainment media technology and it's all serving the surrounding areas of Tennessee, Georgia and New York. I have Lee Rankin in the building with me. What's up beautiful? How you doing? I Thank am great. Thanks for coming. What's going on lady? Um, you know, it's Saturday morning. You're looking really beautiful this morning. What what is your day looking like today? Um, after I leave here, probably just uh, running errands, looking after yeah. some family members. Okay, okay. And I remember we met a few months back at an event at Crosstown, and you were actually on a panel giving creatives advice. And I know you find yourself always doing that in your line of work. Mm-hmm. Um, how was it starting the Lee Ranking Group? Mm. Very interesting. And um, I think... It's a story I share a lot with um, people interested in transitioning from working a job to becoming an entrepreneur. I, um, it was around the time that I got my divorce, that I was in a divorce, and there was a divorce settlement, so I had a little bit of cash available to me that um, I decided that I wanted to go part-time at the job that I held and still hold, um, to form my company. And in doing so, I had to take a very large pay cut. Okay. And so I was fortunate to be able to have, um, you know, some financing so that I could be able to do that and focus on forming my, my law firm. So at the time, so this is about three years ago, okay. and um, there was what I consider to be like this creative renaissance taking mm-hmm. place. Collective was ramping up, and I mean, there was just a lot of um, expansion and people feeling like, um, you know, enterprising and, and a sense of ownership and a sense that particularly people, black creators, had been left out of the opportunities in Memphis and there had been, I think, like the Black Creators Forum through mm-hmm. the indie 
film festival that, you know, my understanding is that a lot of the philanthropic dollars that came in came in on the basically on the, the back of black creatives and this philanthropic interest in supporting black creatives in, in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is a good time to tap in mm-hmm. and get back to my roots of entertainment law. And mm-hmm. so that was how I, I that's how it all began. into the entertainment Okay. Yes. So if that's how it all began, we're going to go back even further okay. because I know you're actually not originally from Memphis. Where right. are you from? I'm originally from D.C. Okay. And um, you didn't ask me this question, but when I was a child, black entertainment television was based in Georgetown, Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. And so, um, you know, interestingly... Because BET was there, there was an entertainment scene in, yes. in Washington, D.C., where I was growing up. Um, my mother's baby sister was working at, um, like, a local television station. And Bob Johnson, at the time, you know, cable was pretty new. Mm-hmm. And he had this concept of starting black entertainment television. Mm-hmm. So as I understand the story, he went around to all the stations trying to recruit the black talent. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, you know. This is a gamble. I'm, I'm starting this cable channel, but wow. I will make you an executive vice president, give you some equity mm. in this, you know, in, in this endeavor if you'll come over me. So my aunt said, you know, let me come over there with you. What a time. So, right. So she was the first um, executive vice president of marketing for black entertainment television. At the beginning. At the beginning. And wow. it was obviously a, a success. Yes. So just as a child, you know, my aunt was glamorous. Like, I, I used to think she looked like uh, Jane Kennedy. Mm. And then, you know, she was in the entertainment business. And, you know, we would go on the set of, like, a Video Soul. Oh, my God. I that. used to watch Video yes. Soul every night. Yeah, exactly. As a child. So Donnie that's Simpson. What, Donnie Simpson. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. So that's wow. what... what wet my appetite initially mm-hmm. to get into the entertainment business. Oh, did so, you, yeah, like, follow your aunt around, like, um, all the time? And were you so intrigued, like, hey, I'm getting into that line of business? I really think that that ignited, like, the fire. Mm-hmm. For all, like, all of my cousins, we all just looked up to Denise. I mean, she was just a boss, mm-hmm. you know. And she was glamorous. She was intelligent. Um, and she was a young woman at the time. And so, yeah, I mean, if you have an option to say, oh, I want to, you know, mm-hmm. go be a nurse or I want to be an <laughs> entertainment executive like my Aunt Janice. Okay. I mean, it was like, that's yes. what I want to do. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk about how you matriculated to Memphis. Yes. How did that happen? Well, um, I was working at a law firm. Um, it's a it's a top uh, international law firm, Greenberg Schroeder, in Atlanta. I was in the entertainment group. Okay. And um, I met who became my, f- my future husband um, when I worked at that law firm. He was an employment lawyer. He also did school law. Mm-hmm. And so we were on different floors. We didn't really work together. Mm-hmm. But we wound up meeting, dating. Uh, we wound up getting married. Mm-hmm. We have two children together now. He's from Memphis. Okay. And we had our, our daughter, Robbie, who is now about to be 15. I but met she her. Was, you yes. met Robbie. You yes. did meet Robbie. Yes. And then soon found out that we had little Dorsey coming. And uh, it was a turbulent time. It was like 08. 
and mm. you know it was just a lot going on with the recession yes. and things of that of that nature. I'm not going to get all into that, mm-hmm. but there was an opportunity for him to come to Memphis as the general counsel for um, at then it was Memphis City Schools. Okay, and so we moved our family to Memphis in '08. At that time, right. What did you think of Memphis when you first hit the scene in 08? Well, I remember <laughs> I was just, he, one of his best friend's parents lived in South Bluff. And so, I, you know, we were initially, how do I want to say? So that was with, with me coming in when he was trying to get me to agree to this move from Atlanta where we live to Memphis. It was like, where are you going to take somebody? But to the, the most interesting part. Okay. So it was like. <laughs> you know, let's go to let's go look at um, Harbor Town. Yes. You know, and I'm like, ooh, look at these big like, houses like on the Memphis. water. Yes, you know, I'm like, ooh, you know, this is a you know a river city. This yeah. looks like a really hip place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Harbor Town is is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. You know, especially the houses on the water, mm-hmm. and then just downtown. Like if you're at South Bluff, so GE Patterson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, South Main, and that's like the arts district. Mm-hmm. And just walking, he's like, yeah, there's the Grammys building and, uh, you know, the blues, you know. So I'm like, oh, this, I'm going to be able to stay in the entertainment business. Like, this is an entertain. you know, I'm thinking, you know, because he's from Whitehaven. So, you know, I was familiar with Graceland and, you know, Stacks and, you know, here, you know, Grammys, you know, it's like, oh, okay. you know, I'm I'm going to be able to just, I'm going to come right in here, get my Dip spot in the entertainment it. business, no problem. I like mm-hmm. this. And looking at all these, at that time, empty buildings at 08 on South Main, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be able to come up in here and pop off. In 08 now. <laughs> it didn't work out like that. No. Wow. People were not impressed with none none of the things that I just named. <laughs> okay, you know they were like, "What high school did you go to?" You mm, know, I'm like, yeah. "I didn't, I didn't go to high school in, yeah, in Memphis." Oh here. well, we don't care about. Yeah, went to spell. You worked at who? No, mm, we don't care. Wow, <laughs> get get in the back of the line because mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. If you're not from a, if you didn't go to East Central High School or whatever, I understand. You're nobody around here. Yeah, you know yeah. which. It's cool. I respect that Memphis has that kind of pride and takes care of its own. But it was it was difficult for me. It was difficult. It was difficult. So I I couldn't I could not find an opportunity in the entertainment business. Okay. And so I wound up working at Shelby County Government. Really, initially, I I was a temp. Like I worked through a temp agency for lawyers, mm-hmm. uh, and I got a placement at Shelby County in the Shelby County Attorney's Office to do some type of employment investigation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good lawyer. Even though that wasn't really necessarily my field, I was able to do the work. And the county attorney at the time was like, did you want to be a temp lawyer? You, do you want a job? I'm like, I want a job. Okay. And so that's when I started. It was, I think, 2011 that I started working in the county attorney's office. Wow. Yeah. Look, welcome to Memphis, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and I know, like, um, your uh, background in law has been a lot with entertainment. Who are some of the artists that you've worked with oh, over the years? Yes. So um, the biggest, okay, so this is, you know, full disclosure. Um, I have a 27-year-old son, mm-hmm. and um, his father is um, 
a Grammy Award winning producer. His name is Dallas Austin. Oh, yeah. I know who Dallas so, Austin is. Yeah, so okay, yeah, so he um, was a part of like the East Coast family. Yeah, so along with Michael Bivens, mm-hmm. um, you know, through Motown, you know, they had uh, you know Boys to Men. Dallas produced Motown Philly. He had hits. Oh yeah, he had a lot of yeah, he had a lot of hits. So and then they had so the idea was you know BBD to create a a girl version of BBD, and that's how TLC was created. Mm-hmm. And he wrote. You know, all some the biggest you know TLC hits like Creep. Um, he was high. I, I think he did it. a versus. Didn't he do a versus uh, when they started the verses online? Um, I, I know when they were tapping into the producers. I'm not sure about that. I do know that uh, he was like in the first. Um, he he also did with um, Tyler Perry. He did the soundtrack for Diary of a Mad Black mm-hmm. Woman. And then he was like a uh, guest uh, producer on the first uh, season of Atlanta Housewives. Yes. With what was the name? What What is the uh, Mimi the, uh, Bravo? The, the white The white lady that was the oh uh, Kim Kim Zosia. Yeah. yeah. When you when she was you know this was before Candy got on the show. The next season he was like helping her. Get you know she wanted to be in the music business, so he had a recurring. Role oh my god, the, I'm trying to think season. of that track she came out with, but we it was a bop, it was a bop at first, and uh, then we was party like, for the party. So party that, for now the he party. didn't do that, but he was in the first season okay. leading up to that's when Candy she okay. produced that, and then that she was that did. how Candy, wow. you know her storyline. So you, you know, had access to a lot of the. Oh yeah, I was. Um, that was the thing about Atlanta, and so I remember being in D.C. You know, being in my parents' basement watching, you know, I I watched all I watched was videos. Like that was I didn't watch any other TV. I was, was a like, video girl. Yeah, too. it was just like what's what's the videos? Mm-hmm. And I can't remember there was a show that would come on. I'm trying to remember if this was when cable when it was still like a box behind the TV. Yes, I remember. You know, but there was some video was it the black video box? Mm. I don't I don't remember what it was, but um, you know, being in DC, Puff you know, Puff Daddy went, was at Howard. And so, you know, that's another example of how D.C. was an entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, magnet in a sense. A lot yeah. of people kind of came out of of D.C. from Howard. Puff Daddy is an example. Mm-hmm. And maybe he was on Video Soul or he was on, maybe it was 106 Apart. I'm dating myself. I don't remember. Yes. But I remember, um, you know, I wanted to go to Atlanta you know, because I, I knew that it was like a music industry city. And so I remember seeing Puffy, and they were asking him who was his inspiration, who did he want to be like in the business. And he said, well, he wanted to be like Dallas Austin. He said, because he has his own record label, Rowdy Records. And his the, the big artist that broke Rowdy Records was Monica. Don't okay. take it personal. And so it was just so, you know, that Puffy's saying that's who he wants to be like. And so, um, you know, that's how I first, and then, uh, what's the name of the group that had the song? Aisha. I'm telling myself. Not the boys. It was, uh, uh, and that's terrible that I'm not remembering. I remember Aisha, though. But, yeah, so okay. those little guys. Um, dang. We trying to remember. So they had, yeah, they had a big song. Mm-hmm. Aisha, they had a couple, they had a couple big yeah. songs. And so this was when I'm headed to Atlanta as a freshman at Spelman College. And I had a cousin who, um, she's from Harlem, and so, you know, she was in the mix. Mm-hmm. She was super in the mix. She was a sophomore, 
And my freshman year, I didn't have housing initially. So my cousin and I, like, lived in an apartment not far from Spelman. And so I was running around with her. So here I am, oh, you 17, yeah, 17 years old. <laughs> and there was a club. Oh, my goodness. It's, it became the warehouse, but at that time it was called the Phoenix. And the house DJ was Lil John. Oh wow! So he was the how he was just the house DJ for mm-hmm. the Phoenix. But that was like the Phoenix, and there was another one called Diamonds and Pearls, mm-hmm. and then later the Velvet. These were like the hot spots mm-hmm. in Atlanta where you know the music industry folks would come through. And you were there at a great right. time, so, definitely the beginning definitely. of everything. So I go, I go to this club with my cousin. I couldn't get into the club because I'm 17. I don't have ID. And, you know, this little entourage comes riding in, motorcycles, this, that, and the third. And uh, I remember seeing the little boys, ABC, Another Bad Creation. I remember seeing them, and I was so excited. I was so excited because they were more my peers Mm because they were teenagers, Mm -hmm. you know. And that was the the first time that I met Dallas was was that night. And I think – Somehow we wound up getting into the club at that point. And so that was the beginning of, you know, our whatever. Mm -hmm. And so we wound up having a child a few years later. Okay. And so that was, so just being that association, I saw all these young entrepreneurs in the music business. Mm -hmm. And it was like, what else are you going to do? Right. You know what I mean? What else are you going to do? Here you have 20-year-olds that are enterprising, that you know are being offered label deals. Yes. And then you have all the young executives around them. Mm-hmm. Now, the lawyer scene at that time wasn't quite like that. You know, it was considered, uh, you know, being, being a younger person and also being a female, people had a concept about what an entertainment lawyer it had to be a man. It had to be a man, and it had to be a white man, right? <laughs> you know, right. for the most part, right? You know, for the for the most part, and so, um, but I still it, it got in my mind that I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. Mm-hmm. I come from my, my my father and his wife are judges in Washington D.C. So okay. I came, and my mother also went to law school. That's where she met my dad, but she did not practice law. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of like. Especially when I had a child in college, my father was like, you have to go to law school. You're not going to be a statistic, you know. Okay. So it was like, okay, well, if I have to be a lawyer, then I want to be in entertainment law. And so all that to say that um, my first client was my son's father, Dallas Austin. Wow. So I had the opportunity to work with, and and by that time, he had also, the, the movie Drumline is loosely based on his life story. So it was, it was a film that he pitched and developed. And I didn't an know executive that. Producer. Yes, Drumline and, and, and ATL. So here you have, you know, a music producer. And one thing about him, he was very smart because he was also a songwriter. So he was a producer and songwriter. So he would own 100% of these songs. So he knew about ownership early exactly. on. Exactly. He okay. definitely did. And wow. so, you know, working with a client like that, I got to work with really seasoned, you know, mm-hmm. tops, really, because I, I wasn't his primary lawyer. His primary lawyer was a guy named Joel Katz, mm-hmm. who is a legendary. 
he's legendary. And, mm-hmm. and, and his first clients were B.B. King and James Brown. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that lawyer was that he transitioned from just representing, and I don't mean to say just, but from representing an artist or a creative to helping those people brand themselves, mm-hmm. with, which is like through trademarking. Yeah. You know? And so you take somebody like B.B. King and now you have House of Blues, mm-hmm. which is a franchise. Yes. And then you have so many other uh, ancillary products mm-hmm. and services around that. Mm-hmm. And that is how, you know, you monetize. And that's how you, you know, basically get all types of opportunities through your name and likeness mm-hmm. and through branding. And that's, that's where it's at. On out. And so that is how he transitioned his practice and was able to essentially, I'm not going to say partner, but his law firm was acquired by this larger international law firm because, you know, they were basically an intellectual property Mm -hmm. law firm, but also still working with producers and artists and still doing traditional deals as well. Gotcha. Right. Lee, you have seen it all, and and it sounds like, you know, how you mentioned uh, being a black woman in law at that time, especially in entertainment law, was probably unheard of or maybe not even respected. But even with artists at that time, like you often hear about artists having these horrible deals. I'm sure you've seen a lot of that over the years Mm -hmm. with them coming for counsel. Yeah. Um, because we, we hear often in the news so often about these horrible deals. They mm-hmm. broke, they ain't got mm-hmm. no money, but you're mm-hmm. like, but they had number one hits. Mm-hmm. How has that been to counsel a top star um, w- with these deals on the table? Um, well, first I want to say that I want to take my hat off and show some respect for some of the black female attorneys that came before me. Um, Louise West mm-hmm. is um, a name, it should be a household name, um, and she is certainly for uh, black female lawyers. She she opened a lot of doors, paved the way for a lot of us. And her two biggest clients at the time were Timbaland and mm-hmm. Missy. And okay. this was back when they they, they dominated just nineties. They know, had a nice run. They had a they had a wonderful run. I mean, and I th- and and arguably they still run it. You not not mm-hmm. arguably they still in they, they still in it. they still in yeah. it. Um, and they have you know had so much influence on the music today. Um, So Louise West and then a woman named Nina Shaw. And Nina Shaw, uh, what is it, Kevin Hart, you know, the the TV show he has that's based on his real life, Mm -hmm. and then they have the female attorney on the show. Mm -hmm. That attorney is based on Nina Shaw. And Nina Shaw is probably the attorney to all the top black movie stars in in. LA and when I was coming up she um you know was gracious enough to meet with me you know when I was in LA to meet with me and kind of talk to me about how hard the businesses and the sacrifices that she made the kind of you know I mean basically she told me that um her work is is everything and that she runs her life you know to complement her work and that like even with her daughter she was telling me that she has an appointment with her daughter once a week, and they go to go to go to dinner, and and that's that's constitutes motherhood, and that was, you know, what she felt she had to do to be able to be in the position, and 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 I would say she's 
she's up there with anybody. Yes. Not black, white, female, male. She's just she's up there. She's she's in the game, you know. And she explained to me that she felt that my generation was more interested in a quality of life, which is not false. You know, people. You know, I, you know a lot of people now, especially with social media. You know, there's a lot of flossing going on. Oh, a lot. You know, there's a lot of flossing going on. A lot of cap. Yeah. And I, I, I'm i still trying to figure out how people, because I want to floss too. Okay. You know, but I got, you know, I got to read contracts all day long yeah. and all night long and rest. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really don't know how a lot of people on social media or are living these lavish lifestyles and don't like Or is it a facade? Work. To me, a lot of, like I said, Cap, um, you know, they're trying to portray this image that they really got it. Maybe some of them do, but a lot of them don't, Lee. A lot of them don't. But if they project that image, they're going to get these followers. They're going to get all these people that want to be like them, right? So, yeah, you've seen it all. Like, now you've got social media on the table. And, yeah, we can't floss like we want to because we're too busy trying to grind it out. I'm just like, when are, you know, one thing I thought, I was like, yeah, I'm going to work so hard, and then I'm going to, you know, once I accomplish this, then I'm going to be able to cruise. No. It's like the, the more, well, what happens is, you know, like, I keep referencing Puff Daddy, like, more money, more problems. Mm-hmm. It's like more success, more work. More work. Like, as your company becomes more successful, you have to continue to scale you know, and you have to, even for me, like the hardest thing now is trying to grow my business and take on and train other people. And, you know, one thing that I did not answer your question before about how people wind up losing their wealth mm-hmm. um, is that because a lot of us are not financially literate. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it's hard to find the right partners. And like, what do they, they always tell a new artist, you know, you got to build your team, you know, your accountant, bookkeeper, sometimes that's the same person, you know, your attorney, um, you know, really you, you have to have some HR people that are helping you to, uh, you know, run payroll and, you know, there's, there's just so much, admi- there's such a big administrative piece you know, and so a lot of people, it's, it's overwhelming, you know, because yeah. if you're the marketing, you know, yeah. marketing, like I'm always like, okay, let me go sit outside and try to <laughs> come up with something to say on this video, you and know, because people, you, you know, thank you, you know, yeah. people need content, you know, some people like, it. you know, some of my, my friends are like teasing, like you do, you know, one of my girlfriends is a, is a, a stylist, and so she has a lot, you know, does photo shoots with clients and things. She's like, you do more photo shoots than I do. I'm like, really? I'm like, I might do three or four photo shoots a year, and then I just throw up the same pictures all the time. But if I post, if I post something on my social media and I'm talking about, you know, some subject matter that people really need to hear, I might get one like, you know, maybe seven likes. But if I get some makeup on and wow. put a little cleavage on there, then that's going to go 300 likes. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> you know, so it's like yes. you have to, you know, kind of find a way. And, and so that's a big piece. Like, I, you know, I spend money on having people create content for me. And, you know, just marketing yourself is a big piece. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I feel that everyone is not – 
you know, going from working a job where you just come in, you get a paycheck, you know, first 15 or whatever it is, and you do your job. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're running a business, you got to do all the jobs. Okay. And you might not be good at all the jobs. And so then you have to identify people to be in those roles, and and some of those people don't work out. Sometimes those aren't a good fit. So it's just a constant, it's a constant reinventing. It's a constant growing it's you know it's just it's it does it's never ending you know and sometimes I'm like oh I just want a job again yeah so I can be mommy and you know I can be you know just be more present because even when my office is in in, well I don't want to talk about my personal stuff because people are crazy uh but you know I am around my children a lot but I'm not present because I'm answering three phones for my three different clients, you know what yeah. I'm saying, or looking at, you know, responding to, to emails. And when you're dealing with people's livelihood or, you know, when you're working for these businesses, um, you know, everything is, is emergency. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. I'm sure you have some, like, demanding clients. Certainly, yes. yes. Sir. But And I'm grateful for all of them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful for all of them. So keep on being demanding. But, you know, sometimes just like, ooh, I just miss having a job where I just show up. Right. And I don't have to run payroll. And I don't have to, you know, gotcha. do all these things. It's a blessing. But it's, it's, not, it's not easy. When, you ha- when you're a boss, it comes with a lot. It comes with a lot. So what does your support system look like? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I have, um, there's a woman named Paula Moore who I met years ago through an artist, an amazing artist named Santi Gold. Santi and I, Santi White, um, if you look her up, she, you know, she, she's, she's somebody. She's, she's a contender. And, you know, without being, as a matter of fact, Beyonce, um, I, I posted about this on LinkedIn, did a tribute to Queens, mm-hmm. and that was one of the people that she Santi. did. Yes, yeah, Santi. Okay. Santi goes, please look her up. If you don't know about her, you want to know about her. But I grew up with her. So I, I said that I grew up in D.C., which is true. My parents divorced um, when I was eight, and my mother's from Philadelphia. So we wound up moving to where her parents were in Philadelphia, which is another, you know, music, another music mm-hmm. town, another, another rich uh, music, you know, uh, background. Um, and so I was in Philadelphia, particularly for high school and Santi and I became friends and Santi was already, you know, she was already a star, you know, in high school. And I don't know if you know this artist Reese, there was a big, there was a big, big song and I'm not, I don't remember. She just but went she, by Reese. Reese, R-E-S. So that's another one to look up. So Santi wrote, wrote her, you know, basically produced her album. Mm-hmm. And as a young woman, she wound up getting, I think she was an A&R and had some other great opportunity at a big label. And so, you know, you kind of come up with the people that, you, you know, the people you come up with, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in the music business, she's in the music business. And um, she was signed to, um, I'm not doing good with names today. That's but the, okay. The the artist there was a big big artist and she wound up dying like of a heroin. She used to sing. She's a, a white artist. A white artist. And she used to sing like it sounded like blue. She was British. Oh, she, um, Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. Mm-hmm. And so I loved Amy Winehouse. So the same guy and he's a big name. He's a, a DJ, a big big name in the music business. 
that was his artist, and Santi was his artist as well. And so she was performing at South by Southwest. So I went to South by Southwest a zillion years ago with Santi. And um, at that time, Paula, I think Paula had always worked with Santi. And so Paula, you know, incredible human being, incredible human being. She lived in Santa Monica. And I met her through Santi, and she was like, anytime you're in L.A., she's like, you can stay with me. And so that started our, our friendship. And when I was going through my divorce and saying, like, who am I? Like, I used to be in the entertainment business. Now I'm living in Memphis and, you know, divorcing, you know, this person. And I don't even know who I am anymore. And she's like, well, come on, come to L.A. and let's, you know, let's go through it. Right. And so we just had a session where, you know, we just basically talked through what, you know, what was I doing for the county attorney's office? What were some of my skills that I had from being in the entertainment business? And we created my website for Lee Rankin Group. We concepted it out, mm-hmm. you know. And so she has been with me from from day one. Mm-hmm. And she is, like, my main consultant and my, my main support system. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yes. And that's so important, you know, mm-hmm. to have that type of support. It is. You know, and likewise, you know, I, I support her as well. You know, a lot of times people are like, want to come in. When when people see that you have some success, when people want to come in and, you know, tell you, well, I could do better content than that. I could do. All the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, you know, a lot of times people start off. There's so many examples. And you see that in the music business, you know, where you have like Janet Jackson that worked with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis mm-hmm. and they had a formula and it worked it and worked. they stuck together. Mm-hmm. But then you look at other artists and I'm just saying like a Sierra, mm-hmm. you know, and Jazzy Faye was a part of her beginning, her sound. And then they broke up and I don't think she's ever, ever been the same. Now she's still, I, I had off what she has accomplished, yeah, but, then, I know but what you're you saying. know, and so I think a lot of times, you know, we get, we get some success and we start feeling like, well, we were the main ingredient where really it's really about your team. It's always you about know, that team. And loyalty, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it, it doesn't always work out, mm-hmm. you know, and so you don't always start off with people. You know, you, you don't always end up with people you start off with. Yes. But I think that being loyal and growing together, making sure the people, you know, like Misa. I look at Misa and Mary J and, mm-hmm. you know, just together. watching. But there was there there was a time when Mary started blowing up, mm-hmm. where you know because I watched Misa's. Um, uh, there's a special like Emma on Amazon. It's really good. You should watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just talks about how when she blew up, then you know you have Vogue and all these people. They want you to use these people. Yeah. And you know, as an artist, sometimes you don't have as much influence, or you don't realize that you can say no. My people are coming with me. And so Misa, you know, basically says after she had basically helped Puffy create this whole look with Jodeci and all this and that, she she said she lost her house, she was sleeping in the car. That is Say crazy. What? Say crazy. what? You know? Yeah. And so, you know, I I'm one of these people. I keep it, I keep it minimalist. You're not gonna see me walking around here Gucci down to my socks. You know okay. What I'm saying yeah, because I want to have something in the bank. You know right. Mean? And, you know, if, if the IRS, if I, if I have to, I, I have all, you know, I'm lining up, you know, mm-hmm. 
crossing my eyes. You gotta watch how you move. But you you know, but you I got you. You know, like they say, always keep enough in the business bank. You know, if if they decide that what you paid wasn't sufficient, you know, you don't want to lose, you know, what you few assets, whatever assets you have. Right. You know, and so it's like don't spend everything that you get. You know, everything that you that you earn, keep it in the business. And find ways to grow that money. And that's what I'm trying to learn now. And if, if anything, I would want to impart to to us, you know, as, as hard as it is, it's not easy learning financial literacy. It's really, it's, it's just not in our DNA. Mm-hmm. We don't learn it at school. True. You know, at home, you know, we don't really expose our children to you know, cash flow and, and, and what are our assets? And, you know, I know some families, you know, affluent white families that, you know, when their children are coming out of college, first thing they're doing is setting them up, you know, with a financial planner, you know, so that they can start preparing, you know, basically to pass their wealth along and not lose their wealth. And it's been like that in those families. And we're not having those conversations. Yeah. We're not having those. A lot of times, you know, if a family has developed some wealth, the next generation loses it. Mm-hmm. Sad but true. You know, um, because they want to put it on their back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm saying. And so I know you're having them good conversations with your kids right about now. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. And so a lot of times when you see me preaching, you know, or, you know, doing these videos, I'm talking to myself. I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm telling myself yeah. what I need to be doing. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to have those conversations with, with my, my oldest son. And really, I mean, I think moments like this remind me you know, to find ways to expose my children more to those kind of conversations and that, those type of networks, yeah. you know, because they're, they're here, mm-hmm. but it's not going to just come to you. You have to be, you know, that has to be a priority. You Definitely. Know, def- you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And so, you know, you have to find ways to, um, to make your children interested in that. Yes, because this is a very different generation we're dealing with. Yes. Gen Z, they different. Correct. The millennials, they different. Oh, correct. To keep that attention and have them listen to you. I'm going through it too, Lee. I'm going through it too. It, it's very interesting. Um, now, we are really pressed for time, Lee, but I am definitely enjoying this conversation. I do want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you practice out of Memphis, Atlanta, New York. Mm-hmm. Memphis, of those three, is the smallest city. Mm-hmm. What makes Memphis different? Ooh, I mean, the thing, the thing that everybody, the grit and the grind. Mm -hmm. I mean, I come from the majority, and we talked about some of the people that I worked with. I also worked with Jeezy. um, And I also just got to be on the ground um, working with artist managers that were were, uh, representing like 50 Cent. And things like that. So I saw a lot of, like, with Jeezy, I saw a lot of artists that grew into just phenomenons. You know what I mean? And really just had a huge impact on, you know, on the, the rap genre. Mm-hmm. I just got totally lost. What was the question? <laughs> I was saying, how is Memphis different? Right. Yeah. And so at that time, you know, you had uh, 
you know, New York, mm-hmm. Atlanta, dominating. Dominating. At the end of my time, and part of the reason why I fell in love with my with this Memphis dude was Three Six Mafia had just gone to scene. They were just it, for me. It was like, you know. I hadn't seen nothing like, like they yes. were just dusting away all these in my mind. I was like this back then you thought, that. Oh yeah. Like when they won mm-hmm. the, the Oscar, yes. cause I wasn't familiar. So then, you know, my ex-husband was like, well, let me introduce you to project Pat, you know, mm-hmm. and just turn me on to, you know, the Memphis, you know, the Memphis hip-hop. sound. Exactly. Yes. Which I later learned is where crunk, you know, music Atlanta was influenced mm-hmm. by Memphis. And the one thing about, rap is that wherever it's the most street, the most violent, that's where the rap industry is going to like, run it, huh? You know? And so, you know, Memphis happens to be probably has a reputation for being a very violent, you know, gritty city. And right now I would say is dominating hip hop, mm-hmm. you know, like the money bag. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know what I yes, mean? We and so, Glorilla. Glorilla. Come on. You we know still what I'm saying? Her song. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, like, there's just so much swag mm-hmm. in the city. It's just swag. You know what I'm yes. saying? It's really that. And the sound, um, to me, it's it's my favorite. You know, I really I love the, the hip hop that comes out of Memphis. So to me, that's one of the things that really makes it you know stand apart from from New York mm-hmm. and Atlanta. Yes, the grit and the grind, for the sure. The grit and the grind. Yeah. And you're still here, Lee. You, you, you're practicing out of Memphis. Yes. You've built this wonderful um, boutique law firm. Any advice for some up-and-coming entertainment lawyers, uh, technology lawyers? Yes. So I talked about Louise West, um, Nina Shaw. Now, Nina does not associate much with this organization, but Louise is one of the founders of, it's called Beesla, the Black Entertainment Sports Lawyers Association. It is an organization, it's over 20 years old, and it was essentially black entertainment lawyers looking to um, be a resource for one another. And it started probably in New York where a group of these lawyers, um, you know, are meeting and just you know, creating a resource, and now it's it, it's it, this organization has grown. They have an annual conference, um, and the lawyer that I am working with now, um, who ha- has helped me shift into gaming, into to uh, you know virtual reality work, um, met him twenty years ago at Beesla, mm. and at that time, I think he was like the head of Black music at like Disney, mm. and you know, he told me that. Uh, when he was, you know, a music lawyer, he said he was broke and his clients were broke. <laughs> and he said and then, you know, he wound up getting into gaming. And he said it was a game changer. And, mm-hmm. and he basically reached back and, you know, pulled me in and another young attorney um, out of Atlanta that, that works with us. And so I would say that it's really good to be able to – Beesla is, is clutch. And not just for, for lawyers. Others can also come to the mm-hmm. conference. An amazing network, top lawyers from like Netflix, you know, to mm-hmm. from you know across the scene, across mm-hmm. across the entertainment and, and technology genres, um, or regular attendees at these conferences. Mm-hmm. And you go there, you're partying, you go to seminars, and you can build. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people call me and ask me, 
you know, just to share information. And I will share information, and I do share a lot of free information, especially through my social media and, you know, on LinkedIn. But if I need, if, if I have a deal that is a paying deal, and I am not working on that type of deal a lot, I'm going to pull in a senior lawyer that works in that arena. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get paid. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not asking anybody to help me for free. Now, you know, people you can call and get some guidance. You don't always have to charge. But if you're working on a deal and you want to always put your best, give your client their best, don't wing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's better to share a fee with another lawyer and make sure that this client is going to get get the best deal in place. And that's something else I recommend. You know, people, you know, it's better to to share money and to build with lawyers that are going to make sure that you're doing good work. Yeah, provide so that's something great I would, service. I would recommend. So wow. just that organization and teaming up and having a network of, of seasonal lawyer. And then you push back and you bring others in. You know, when you have... When you have that entree and you can say, I'm, you know what, I, I'm going to bring you in on this opportunity. I'm going to bring, then that's what we need to be doing mm-hmm. and to grow the pie. I wish a lot of people did more of that, Lee, you know, because you're really building a community. Yes. And and then when they hear about something, they're going to pull you in. That's right. You know, that's how it works. That's how it works. That's how it works. Yes. Well, Lee Rankin, my Sora, I have definitely enjoyed you. I wish we had more time to talk. Well, we're going to do that lunch really soon. Absolutely. I want you to share with the verbally effective audience how they can continue to follow your amazing journey. Oh, yes. Please follow me um, on Instagram at Lee Rankin Group. Yes, and we're going to be seeing some more content coming from Absolutely. you. Huh? I like that good original advice because okay. it's very needed. Okay. Well, and I'm doing a Q&A, as a matter of fact, on the metaverse where I'm asking people to send their questions, you know, drop their questions in, and then I'm going to do videos responding to those questions yes. so i love it i love it thank you so much lee Rankin, thank for joining you. us today on the verbally effective podcast entertainment media technology whatever you need hit up lee rankin at the lee rankin group and thank you all for tuning in to yet another episode of the verbally effective podcast Bloop. <laughs>